Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. We'll be reading verses 9 through 14 this morning. Luke 18, 9 through 14. Just like in everything in our lives, prayer is not always about the action of doing it. But it's the why behind, we, behind why we're doing it. The action isn't always the justifier in good things that we do, but it's the heart behind why we do these things and in the attitude in which we carry forth those actions. I think sometimes we can get into a rut or we can get into a routine of just performing acts or doing actions, which I'm not saying are wrong, but sometimes those actions can become just exactly what they say they are, actions. There's no heart behind it. And prayer is something that I think we must do in order to check our hearts before we enter into prayer, because sometimes I think prayer can become just as much of an action than it is actual communion with God. It becomes something we check off our daily to-do list or to fulfill our Christian duty. But praying with the right attitude and then the right spirit is a must. We have to check our hearts. Today we're going to look at a parable that Jesus shares with the people about two individuals who are both praying. Both doing the right action, the right religious duty. But one is in the right attitude And one is in the wrong attitude. And my hope in looking at these examples, we will have a better understanding of how we are to approach prayer. How we are supposed to come into the throne room of God and be at his throne, at his feet, bowing down. How we can make sure our hearts are in the right place in prayer and not in the wrong. So if you would with me, please follow along as we read Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. Starting at verse 9, it says, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you this, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled but the one who humbles himself will be exalted let's pray Heavenly father Lord, we just come to you right now god we thank you for this opportunity that we have to dive into your word lord we thank you for your word and father god how it was perfect how it was an inerrant father god it is just uh, exactly what we need is the word, your word, Father God, to our lives, the lamp um, to our feet, Father God, a light unto our path. Lord, we thank you for your word. And God, this morning I pray your word pierce our hearts. God, I pray, Lord, we have a better understanding of what it means to come to you in prayer. And Father God, I ask right now, Lord, that you would empty me of myself 
Fill me with your spirit, Father God, to deliver this message, not from me, but from you. Lord, let us all have open ears and open hearts to receive what you have for us. We ask all these things in your son's holy name. Amen. So before we actually dive into what we're going to be talking about today, I think it's always important to set the stage. And that's what we do here in these first two verses, or in this first verse, we see, or first two verses, verses 9 and 10, we see the stage being set. Now Jesus says in verse 9 that he has a direct crowd that he is speaking to in this parable. It tells us that. It says, he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So he's preaching to certain people here this morning. I'm not necessarily always a big fan of coming up here and having individuals that I know need to hear something, and I just stare at you the entire time hoping that you get it. But I know that there are some times when we preach certain passages or preach certain topics, it's going to hit other people harder than it is others. Some of us are going to struggle with this more than we are this. And for us, we let the word guide us and let the word convict. And I think that's what Christ is doing here. He knows that there's people in the crowd that are struggling with having a righteousness of their own, that they think that they are worthy enough without the, de- without the death and resurrection of Christ, that they can come before God because of their righteous deeds that they feel like are good enough for them to come to the throne. So Jesus is basically talking to the people here who are prideful, self-righteous individuals. Now, I don't know where you're at this morning thinking, well, I can just tune out because that's not me. Well, that attitude there probably shows that it might be you. So I think it's important for all of us to have our ears open and our hearts open to receive what Christ has for us in this parable. But see, what's interesting is these two characteristics always seem to be connected. If you feel like you are so awesome and that you hang the stars and the moon, you think you are the best thing since sliced bread, you oftentimes will have contempt towards other people, right? You will think of yourself as better than others. You will think of yourself as not as bad as other people. You will think of yourself much highly as other people. We oftentimes do not see someone who thinks very highly of themselves and very highly of other people. It's oftentimes highly of yourself, less of others. And that's the attitude that we see here with the Pharisee. We will see here that even in his prayer, it becomes a very self-centered, me-centered type of prayer where it's all about him all about him. But what's important here is it says two men went up to the temple to pray. Now, on the outside looking in, if we saw two individuals coming to the temple to pray, we would think, pretty religious dudes. Those guys are doing their religious duty. They must take prayer very seriously. They must take their religion very seriously because they're both going to the temple to pray, which was the custom at that time that they were supposed to be doing. So both men are doing their religious duty, but we see here that it was actually one that was praying and one that was not. Even though in the outward sense of action, them coming to the temple to pray, it was inside their hearts that they were not in the right place. One was, one wasn't, and we're going to dive into that a little bit more. But it's interesting here, as we see these two different prayers kind of compared here in this parable, We also need to compare the two characters that are praying as well. It says that one was a Pharisee and one was a tax collector. Now, anybody with any sort of 
just minute knowledge of Scripture, anything that knows anything about the times back here when Jesus lived, we know that the Pharisees were thought of as the really highly religious people, and we know that they thought of tax collectors as basically being the scum on the bottom of their feet, right? That those guys were just terrible. And it's significant that Jesus picks these two people here because what's interesting is Jesus uses the Pharisees a lot when he talks about prayer, does he not? If you read back in Matthew 6, he says, do not pray like the Pharisees who heap up all these empty phrases. They pray in front of the, in, in the streets so people can see them. So Jesus uses the Pharisees a lot when he's talking about how to not pray. What you have to understand at this time when Jesus is using the Pharisees as an example of what not to do, that was very countercultural to what the people believed at this time. Because the people viewed the Pharisees as the most religious people during that time. So when Jesus would use them as the anti-example, that didn't always sit well with people. It really confused people. Jesus had his work cut out for him when it, come to, when it came to teaching the people about prayer. Because if you think about it, whenever these people would model their prayers or model their lives around, before Jesus came on the scene, who would they model that after? The high religious people, right? We see these individuals going forth to the temple every day. We see them abiding by the law every day. We see them doing all the right things on the outside, but their hearts were wicked. I think Jesus described them at one point as whitewashed tombs. They looked great on the outside, but dead on the inside. But these were the examples that the people had. And then when Jesus oftentimes would use the hero in the story, or the good example, it was oftentimes looked at, he was using the people that really didn't have that high of a status. To be quite honest, it was people that, he didn't, that people at that time didn't really like. You think about the tax collector and how he uses the tax collector as a good example here. Tax collectors were, they were just, honestly, they weren't very good men. They were considered evil. They, they were considered to work, be uh, workers for the Roman government at that time. They were extortioners. They would get a percentage of every tax that they would get, so they would try to get more from people so that they could get more. They didn't have a good name at all amongst the people. So for Jesus to compare these two people here, it shows the momentous task at hand for Christ. He had to completely reteach the thought process that these people had been taught, that they had seen, modeled. He had to completely reteach all of that to show them what it truly meant to pray. And we see this in almost all of Jesus' teachings he does on prayer. He uses the Pharisees as an anti-example and uses the people that they thought were bad as the example. So let's go ahead and dive into this. Let's look at verse 11 through 12, and we're going to read about the Pharisee first because that's who we see Jesus mention here. So let's read about the Pharisee and how he is the anti-example of how we are supposed to pray. All right, so in verse 11 it says, The Pharisee standing by himself. All right, let's just go ahead and stop right there. Standing by himself. This Pharisee thought of himself so highly that he could not even stand with the other people because he is just so much better than they are. I'm going to stand over here and pray, because if I pray with these individuals, oh, I'm so greater than they are. So I'm going to stand over here by myself. This shows right here in 
right here, at the very beginning of his posture, right at the beginning of where he's praying, how he's praying, we see that he is in the wrong. Now, standing is not the problem. Let's get that right here. I don't want people to think that the posture of which we pray, whether we're standing, we're sitting, we're kneeling, whatever it may be, the outside posture of our prayers is not what Christ is concerned about. What he's concerned about is what's in here. So he may be standing, and we're going to see here in a little bit, that even the tax collector was standing. So standing's not the issue. It's the heart of which he's standing. I'm standing away from other people because, really, I'm so much better than them. Let me tell you this. By the end of what we get through the example of the Pharisee, if you're going to be like me in my sinfulness, I want to just pop this guy right in the mouth. Seriously, this guy, he's so arrogant and so egotistical, it's, 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 it's not even funny. So he, first off, is just standing off by himself. I'm just going to pray over here because I want to be away from those people. And then he goes on to say, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. <laughs> Goodness sakes. I mean, this, this guy. He's not like other men. If we read on through there, we see the Pharisee use the term I five times. He uses the term I five times. I read this uh, commentary in this guy, uh, Pastor Pate. He described this prayer and this I statements that the Pharisee kept throwing out here. He said, it is entirely possible to address your words to God, but actually be praying to yourself. Because your focus is on yourself and not on God. Your focus is on yourself and not on God. Your passion is for your agenda and not God's agenda. Your attitude is my will be done rather than thy will be done. The man was full of praise, but he rejoiced not for what, who God was, but for who he was. Think about that. We can, we can be in prayer talking to God, and who are we really praying to? The Pharisee here, when we look at this, he's praying, quote-unquote, but his prayers are not to God. His prayers are to himself. Thank you, God, that I am not like other men. Thank you that I do not sin like other men. Thank you, God, that you have just... Uh, not even you. Thank you, God, that I have just done great things. And I think our prayers can become like this sometimes. Now, I'm not saying that anyone out there, hopefully not, but maybe as many of us out there don't go to God in prayer and sound like this. But I think many of us can come to prayer with the same type of heart, where it becomes all about me. I have been guilty before of going before God in prayer, and basically it turns into me. The whole entire thing is about me. God, give me this. God, I need this. God, I, 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 I. And when we do this, we're making prayer not about who prayer is supposed to be for, but we're making prayer about ourselves. And I love what the Pastor Pate says there because when you look at it deeply, you are actually praying, my will be done and not thy will be done. Have we ever had prayers like that in our lives? 
Now hear me out. I'm not saying that we don't bring forth our petitions. We don't bring forth our needs to God. Because I think that's good. But how often, if we would break our prayers down into a percentage, how many of, how, what percent of our prayers are about us rather than about God? He goes on to say he thanks God for not making him like other people. Goodness sakes, how many times do we compare ourselves to other people? This man comes forth with his self-righteousness, but of course he looks like a golden pony compared to this tax collector. He, thinks, he, he looks like best in show compared to the prostitutes. He looks best in show compared to the murderers. What we fall into and when self-righteousness creeps into our lives and can creep into our prayers is when we start to lower the standard of what God demands by making that standard how we look towards other people. I think so many times we lower the goal, we lower the standard, and we think, you know what, yeah, I'm better than this person, so therefore that makes me feel good. It makes me feel self-righteous because I'm not sinning like this person. The problem, the problem with this Pharisee here is his lack of recognition for his own sin. That's the problem here. One pastor put it this way, what the Pharisee said about himself was true. He wasn't like other men. He wasn't like, as he mentions here, he wasn't like the extortioners, the unjust, the adulterers, or even like the tax collector. Yes, he did fast twice a week. He did give all that he tithed. All that stuff that the Pharisee said was true. But guess what? What the Pharisee said about himself was true, but his trouble was not that he was not far enough along the road, but that he was on the wrong road altogether. In his line of work, in in his thought process, in this legalistic type of thinking, He was way far along the road. He attended the temple to pray. He tithed twice a week, which was only, that wasn't even required back then. He gave more than what he was supposed to. But then he also didn't didn't sin according to the law that he had put there. So what they're doing is he's, he's fine and he looks good to other people, but on the road that he's supposed to be on, he's not even, he's so far back. Because he's not recognizing his need for a Savior. He's not recognizing his own sin of pride that's really driving his entire prayer. And then he comes to God, he comes to God in prayer as if he is worthy to stand before the throne based on his personal accolades. What a dangerous place to be to approach the throne of God thinking you are worthy enough based on all the good things that you have done. What do our achievements and righteous deeds look like at the throne of God? Well, Isaiah 64, 6 tells us. We have all become like the one who is unclean, and our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. This this message is on prayer, but if we, if we, and I'm going to bring this point back to a second, but when we look at prayer and we go with the attitude of I, pride, self-righteousness, all these other things, 
we really are discounting the gospel. We're basically saying we don't need the gospel because we are saying we are worthy enough to come before God in prayer, which is funny to me because if you think about this, prior to Christ dying on the cross, the priest had to go before God into God's presence for the atoning sacrifices of the people at that time. And he had to go through this cleansing process, this entire cleansing process in order to enter in. And now these men think that they don't even have to do the cleansing process, that they are just worthy enough based on all the good things that they do. And nobody, I I truly believe this, that no person falls into a false teaching more than that of legalism and self-righteousness. When you think that all of your good deeds before God are good enough to allow you to come into the presence of God. The pride, the pride will be devoured. But it is the humble that will be exalted. Now let's look at the humble. Verse 13. But the tax collector standing far off. Standing far off. What did we say that the Pharisee was doing? It said that he was standing by himself. And it says the the tax collector was standing far off. Difference in terms there. By himself, meaning I am above everyone else. Far off, meaning I'm not worthy to stand with everyone else. So he's standing far off. He understands the state of his sin. He understands the nastiness of it. He is shame. He is shamed. He's, he feels guilty. And it all has consumed him. He doesn't even feel like he is worthy to stand with people in prayer. It says that he would not even lift his eyes to heaven. Here we see an attitude completely contrary to the Pharisee who came before the throne of God with all this pride and all these accolades thinking he was worthy to stand before God based on what he had done. And now we see a Pharisee or a tax collector here that won't even lift his eyes to heaven because he feels he's so unworthy. Here we see humbleness We see respect and we see reverence towards God from the tax collector. He understands the depravity of himself. He understands the unworthiness he has to stand before the throne, so he won't even lift his eyes. It also says that he beat his breast. This was a sign of just complete anguish, complete just disgust. Beating his chest was almost a way of punishment for him to express that he had so much hatred for his heart for the sins that he had committed. Charles Spurgeon said the original does not say he beat his breast once, but he beat it again and again. It was a continuous act. He seemed to say, oh, this wicked heart. He would beat it again and again. He expressed his intense grief by this original dress gesture. For he did not know how else to put forth his sorrow. So he just beat his chest in disgust of his sin. My question is, is this our view towards our sin? Are we disgusted by our sin? Or do we even recognize it as sin? See, I think, I think we live in a world today, and I think this has been this way for a while, but I'm, I'm just talking now from what I've seen. But we live in a world today where we have just completely, trying to think, justified all of our actions 
We justify all of our actions to make it feel like it's not sin. We may do something or say something knowing, knowing very well that it is sin, but we justify it to make it not seem like it's a sin. Or we try to make sure that we're cutting the corners or however we can get to where we can do what we want to do, but it not be considered sin. That's not the disgust and the hate that we see the tax collector coming before God with in this prayer. But see, the difference is that the tax collector recognizes his sin and the Pharisee did not. I think it's important that we recognize our sin. We recognize the wretchedness of our sin. Big or small, it's important for us to recognize our sin. And then in recognizing our sin, we understand how much God hates that sin. How much God hates that sin. And notice that the tax collector's words were very few. Kevin addressed this two weeks ago when he addressed Matthew 6-7 when he said the Pharisees would just heap up empty phrases. They would empty up empty phrases for they think that they will be heard for their many words. The tax collector here says very few words. Oftentimes it's the short, sincere prayers that hold much more weight than the long, wordy prayers. And it's not about the amount of words that we pray, but our heart behind those prayers. I think sometimes we can see people that just are so wordy with their prayers. And they think that the more wordy that they are, the better they are. But it's the heart behind our prayers that, are ma- that matter. I tell people all the time, one of the best prayers that I ever, I've ever heard in my life came from the mouth of my son. Now, I may have shared this before, but I'm getting older, 31, I know, I feel older, and I remember going into Oakland's bed, and I'd been complaining about my back hurting, I don't know, I think I pulled it trying to get trash out of the barrel or something, I don't know, it it seems like you get hurt more often the older you get, but I hurt my back, and I remember just talk, talking to Melinda about it and just being like, man, my back's just really, really killing me. And I go to put Oakland's uh, pajamas on at night. He said, Daddy, does your back still hurt? And I said, yeah, it does, buddy. And he said, can I pray for it? And he put his hand on me and he just, oh, this makes me cry. But he put his hand on me and he said, Jesus, make Daddy's back better. That's all he said. That's all he said. But the heart behind His prayer was that he wanted to see his daddy feel better. And that's all he prayed. That's all he prayed. And sometimes I feel like we go into prayers sometimes and we think we have to say the right things or say the right words or pray for 20 minutes. I'll be be honest, I've I've felt guilty before because I hear about these people that say, oh man, we had a prayer service and we prayed for like 17 hours. I'm like, when did you use the bathroom? And I sit there and think how impossible that it would be to just pray for 17 hours. And I think, what in the world? And then I think to myself, I'm like, man, I only prayed for like five minutes today. Are they more holy than I am because they prayed for 17 hours and I only prayed for five minutes? Not necessarily. It's my heart behind my prayers that matter the most. 
Nowhere in Scripture does it give us a set amount of time that we are to pray. But what happened was the Pharisees at this time would set these standards that were not in Scripture at all. And then they would set these standards that they could read so they would think that they were more holier than now, but their heart was not in it. And this, this tax collector here, he, he just prayed, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's all he prayed. Albert Moeller said, if we had one prayer to pray, if we had one prayer to pray, it doesn't get any better than that prayer right there. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The doctrine of justification summed up in such a small amount of words. God, I am beyond saving on my own. Be merciful to me. Show me your grace. Notice that there's no defense. There's no rationalization. No justification for his sins. He doesn't come to God and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. But God, you have to understand that the reason I do these things is because I have to make a living, so I have to charge more taxes from these people so that I can make more money. Or God, be merciful to me, a sinner, because sometimes I, I have to tell a lie because that person they, they, I have to, it, it's only gonna, it's gonna work this way, or God, be merciful to me, a sinner, for getting angry, but God, you should have seen what they did. God, be merciful to me, a sinner, because I had a lustful thought about this woman, but God, you should have seen the way she dressed. Notice he's not rationalizing or trying to show any sort of defense for his sin. He's sitting there saying, God, I'm guilty before you right now, and I need your mercy. That's recognizing sin. I've been reading in 1 Timothy this week, and what does Paul say? Paul says that he is a sinner, but he says not even that. He says he's the chief amongst sinners. Paul had the greatest recognition of his own sin than anybody I've ever known because Paul, one of the greatest men in the Bible, said that he was the chief of all sinners. He understood his wretchedness. He understood his sin. And this be merciful in the Greek is translated heloskomai which means atoning sacrifice. And we only see that one other time in Scripture, and that's in Hebrews 2.17, where he says, Therefore, he had to be make, made like his brothers in every respect, that he may become merciful and faithful high priest in the service to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Christ became sin who knew no sin, so that you and I could be made righteous. That is mercy to the fullest extent. And we have to recognize our need for that mercy. So what's the result of these two prayers? One, guy looks great. He's got the resume of a saint. The other one, evil, poorly looked upon individual, both coming to the temple to pray. What's the result of their prayers? One prayer is full of self-righteousness, the other full of humble submission. One prayer is all about me, the other prayer is all about God. And verse 14 tells us what the result of this is. He says, Jesus says, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other, the Pharisee. 
For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Brothers and sisters, our attitude in prayer must, must, must be driven by love, perseverance, and gratefulness and humble submission to God's will, knowing that for the sake of Christ, he always hears our prayers. I love Matt Chandler's definition on prayer. He said it is utter dependence upon God. When we come in prayer, it is solely us, as Alan prayed this morning, bowing before, surrendering ourselves over to God in utter dependence for him because we realize that we have come to the end of ourselves and we are not worthy to be called sons and daughters of the one most high. So we come to God praying as the tax collector prays, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. But let's understand that one thing about our attitudes in prayer is that prayer is not about you. Prayer is not about you. I don't know if you've ever heard that before, but I'm here to tell you today that when you make prayer about you, you are no better than the Pharisee. Prayer is not about us. The Pharisee came to pray, and he prayed with all about himself. His delivery, his posture, his words, his motive was all to glorify himself and to seek his own will in his life. And the tax collector, he prayed with a focus towards God, humbly submitting to the lordship of the Father, begging, begging for mercy. His posture, his words, and his motive were to lessen himself and to make prayer all about the Father he served. The attitude of the tax collector going before God in prayer was one of shame, guilt, and feeling of unworthiness. That's how he came to the Father. But understand this, that it was because of that humbleness in which he approached the throne, the mercy he, was asked, he asked for was given to him by God because of the attitude of which he went forth in prayer. He was justified. He was justified. And now, when he goes to prayer in Christ, he, or to God, he can approach the throne with confidence. So he goes into prayer with his head down, not even looking up to heaven, standing far off from everyone else, asking for mercy, and the mercy was given to him through the resurrection and death of Christ. And therefore, now he's justified because of what Christ did, not what he did. Now he can stand forward at the throne of God. He can stand before the throne with confidence not stemming from his own goodness, not stemming from his own deeds, but because of the righteousness of Christ. That is the heart in which believers approach prayer. We approach with understanding that there is nothing that we have done that allows us to come forward to the throne room of God to pray to God. But it is solely the work of Christ that we even have the opportunity so my question this morning is, are you worthy to come before the throne on your own? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. To approach the throne in confidence based on the righteousness of yourself is foolish and damning. But to approach the throne under the righteousness of Christ is freeing 
and effective. It's freeing and effective. When we approach the throne of God in prayer, I want us to come with what we talked about in our call to worship this morning. With Hebrews 4, 14 to 6, it says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Do, you, do we even understand? And this is something I have to ask myself. I asked myself this week, and it's really changed my prayer life. Do we understand the magnitude of coming before the Father in prayer? Do you understand the magnitude of that? One thing I think gets lost in the whole story of Christ's death on the cross is when the curtain was torn in two. When the curtain was torn in two, that allowed us to have free access to the Father. But we could not have free access to the Father unless there was a perfect sacrifice made that bridged that gap, that chasm that we sing about. And therefore, since that bridge was made to bridge that gap, we now can come before the creator of the universe. Understand the magnitude of that. And I think when we step back and make sure our hearts are in check and we go to God in prayer with that type of attitude, you're going to see your prayer life change. You're going to see your prayers start to become more about Him. You're going to start to see your will come into alignment with God's will. You're going to stop praying prayers just for yourself, and you're going to start praying prayers for others. You're going to start, stop coming to prayer with an attitude of need, but coming to it with an attitude of thankfulness because of what was done for you to even enter into prayer. Understand that prayer is only possible because of the sacrifice that was made by Christ. He went before us in living. He died for our sins that we committed. He took the punishment on the, on the cross. He defeated that death in the tomb. And in understanding the gospel and recognizing your need for the gospel, only then can we approach the throne with the right attitude, with the right heart. I know this is a lot, but it, it seems simple. But I think that we get wrapped up in our ways of always doing things in our prayer life. And we can be very self-righteous in our prayers. We can be very me-centered or I-centered in our prayers. But if we come with the attitude to glorify God and honor God, and that's what prayer was designed to be for, I think that we can understand truly what it means to pray. What it truly means to pray. So right now, I'm going to give us all an opportunity to do this. With this understanding of the gospel and understanding the power that comes through prayer, through the cross, I want us to take time to pray. Follow that method of acts. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. We are adoring God for who he is. We're confessing that we are so unworthy to come before him, but thankful for the grace and the mercy that he's shown us. And then once we get through all of that, one part is about supplication bringing our needs before God. Because I think when we bring the needs before God, then we're, we're not even recognizing who God is. 
but recognizing in that attitude and that heart really improves our prayer. So I'm going to give you guys a moment to do that. I'm going to give you guys a moment to do that. I'm going to pray for you, and then I'll give you a moment. So praise team, if you want to wait just a little bit, give people time to pray, and then you guys can come forward, all right? So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for who you are. God, you are the creator of the universe, Father Lord. You are the sovereign God. Lord, you are in all things, in control of all things. And Father God, Lord, you are so powerful, so mighty. And Father God, Lord, in all that might and all that power, Lord, you are so loving. You're so gracious. You're so merciful. And Father God, I thank you for that because, Lord, you are also just. Lord, you look down upon our sins and, Lord, you are disgusted by them. But, Father God, you made a way for us to atone for those sins by sending your Son down, the ultimate gift of mercy. And, Father God, I pray right now, Lord, Lord, that we would just come this morning with thankful hearts for that. Lord, that you wanted to hear from us so bad, Lord, that you made a way. You made a way for us to come to you. And Father, Lord, let us be thankful for that because we are unworthy to come before you. And Lord, every time we pray, Lord, we, I, th- I pray we come with that understanding of the gospel, Lord, our need, our dependence upon you. And Father God, Lord, we just we thank you for that. God, let this time of prayer that we have here this morning be a, a beneficial time, a time, Lord, we understand who you are, what you've done, and Lord, what we need. God, I thank you for your son. God, we ask all these things in your son's holy name. Amen. Take this time in prayer.